You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're going to be continuing our series today called New Year's Revolution. We've been looking at how uh, it's not enough that we simply resolve to do better, that actually what we need is a complete radical change of our thinking in some areas. And so we've been looking at some priorities for us as a church over these last couple of weeks. We looked at the priority of devotion and how we are to, uh, we're ultimately called to love God with our heart and mind and soul and strength. And we looked at the subject of prayer and how that is a key way in which we express our devotion to God. And then last week we looked at the priority of discipleship and how God wants for each one of us, if we know him, to become more like Jesus. He wants for each one of us to uh, intentionally uh, pursue discipleship that people might help us on that journey to becoming more like Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the priority of invitation. And uh, at the end of this uh, time together, I want to give you an invitation to, um, to come to know God. If you don't know him, to come to know him. I want to give you an invitation to place your faith in him. And so uh, we're going to come on to that a little later on. Now, firstly, I just want to talk about the fact that we, as human beings, are drawn to the extraordinary. We're drawn to the extraordinary. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes you can be scrolling um, your, your Facebook page if, you have, if you're a Facebook user, or you can be, you can be just scrolling the news and you can, on, online and you can just see an article that makes you sit up and take note, and you click on it, and it's normally something that's extraordinary that we're drawn to. It, this, just this morning, actually, I wasted about one minute of my life um, by a video of a man who had uh, taken a squirrel as a pet and was looking after this squirrel. It had its own little lead, and uh, this squirrel was eating all the same meals that he was eating. It was kind of weird, but I realized after a minute, I'm like, man, this is a waste of my time, but I was drawn in by this extraordinary situation. We are drawn in by extraordinary things. On Wednesday morning, I went to go and pray. I've got a little uh, shed in my garden, um, which doesn't sound very impressive. It's not, but um, it's wonderful. I go in there in the mornings and just pray and spend some time with God. And I saw this sky that's going to come up on the screen right now. And uh, I just ran, just the picture we just had up a minute ago. Um, and I ran out, uh, ran, I ran back inside the house and I said to my kids, kids, you've got to see the sky this morning. This is what it looked like. Hashtag no filter. This is exactly how it appeared. And uh, my kids were like, wow, they were amazing. Look what God's done in the sky. And we just stood there uh, for a minute or two just looking up and it got quite cold. And so we had to go back in. So that was the uh, Wednesday morning. And then later on that day, I went, I had a meeting with Matt, who's hosting the meeting this morning. We decided that actually, rather than sit down and have a meeting, we'd go for a walk. And um, we walked uh, in Orwell Country Park and it was so crisp and frosty. I was taking pictures every uh, couple of minutes. I think Matt was getting quite annoyed because we were having a serious conversation. And I said, look at that. We've got to take a picture of that. Because the thing is, when we see something extraordinary, when we're drawn in by it, we want to share it with someone else. Otherwise, the enjoyment is not really complete. When we see something that even, it might be something we enjoy or something that makes us cry or a film that really moves us or something that makes us cringe. 
at New Year's, who saw the video of Mariah Carey's performance in Times Square? Who saw that? Just raise your hand if you saw that. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, she absolutely, um, well, she made a massive blunder, basically, and the people on PA made a massive blunder, and it went horribly wrong, and uh, she became the source of ridicule because, basically, she wasn't singing her song properly, and she's a a well-renowned singer, and millions and millions of people, poor lady, millions of people shared this video of her absolutely uh, messing up her performance on New Year's Eve in front of millions of people. And we are drawn in by extraordinary things, things that uh, make us sit up and take note. And we can't help but share it on. We want others to experience it too. We are drawn in by the extraordinary. On Friday, we had Donald Trump's inauguration. And whatever you think about the man, I bet that you're probably drawn in by uh, the inauguration ceremony, the, the pomp and ceremony of it all, and the fact that this man who was a reality TV star uh, has become president of the most powerful nation in the world. We get drawn in by it. We can't help but sit up and take notice. And we, we might even tell others about it. Did you, did you see what he said? Did you see uh, the way in which he, he responded to whatever it was? And we kind of get drawn in by these things and want others to know about it as well. So... We're drawn in by extraordinary things. We cannot help but share them. And in today's passage that we're looking at, we're going to see that some people were drawn to the person of Jesus. They were drawn in by this extraordinary man, and they couldn't help but share about him. So we're going to be in John chapter 1. If you have a Bible with you, then why don't you turn there now? John's in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. It's one of the uh, stories of Jesus' life, the book of John. Um, If you haven't got a Bible, the the verses will come up on the screens around the room. So, John chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 35 to 46. The following day, John, that's John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples, disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Now Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Now there's two things that we learn from this story and two invites that we ourselves can make and we're going to unpack them together. The first thing that we learn from this story is that excitement about Jesus is at the heart of invitation. So we see that as Jesus walked by, John saw Jesus and said, look, there's the Lamb of God. Now, earlier on in this chapter, John has already said this. He's already been going around saying, look at Jesus. Here's the Lamb of God. He says, it's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the whole world. 
He's excited about Jesus. He can't shut up about Jesus. This is not something he feels he should do. This is not something that he feels duty-bound to do. It's something that simply bursts out of him. Why is he excited? Well, because the longings of his heart have been met in the person of Jesus. His heart has been drawn to this extraordinary man, and he has seen that this man is the answer to the longings of the world. He can't help but share it. The longings of the nation of Israel was that they would have a saviour, they would have a messiah, one that would come and free them, one that would set the captives free, one that would come and deal with their sin once and for all time. And John has come to see that this is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. We are all of us, all of us are longing to know God. Whether we know it or not, we're longing to know God. We're longing to have a relationship with him. We might not articulate it that way. We might not say it that way, but we are longing to know God. We feel that deep within, without God, there is something fundamental that is missing. And some of us search for it in other areas. We search for it in experiences of the world. We might travel around the world looking at amazing uh, scenery and going to different places. Ultimately, that will not satisfy the longing that is in our hearts. Some of us look for it in experiences of, uh, of ecstasy in some way, whether it be taking drugs or finding uh, some sort of pleasure in alcohol or in relationships or whatever it might be, or in clothes and having all, uh, all the right things or having a house that is just picture perfect. Ultimately, we are all looking for God, but we are looking in the wrong places. We're longing for God. We're longing to have relationship with him. That is exactly what our hearts are searching for. And yet we look in all the wrong places. And John has realized that the longings of the nation, in fact, the longings of the whole world are met in Jesus. That Jesus would be the one who makes it possible for us to know God. That Jesus is the one who would make it possible for us to have relationship with him, to walk with him, to know him as our father. And John is excited about it. He says, he is the lamb of God. The Hebrew people, they knew that the lamb was the one who was sacrificed for the sins of the people. And so that Jesus being called the lamb of God, it meant that he would be the one who, through his sacrifice, would be significant not just for this one nation, but for the whole world, that people all over the world would be able to have a relationship with God. So that's why John's telling everyone, that's why John's pointing Jesus out wherever he can, because he's deeply excited about the reality of what it means for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. He's no normal prophet, he's a prophet and a priest. He's no normal priest, he's the priest and the sacrifice. John is really excited, it's bursting out of him. When you've seen something so extraordinary, you cannot help but share it. You want others to know about it too. When I've had a great meal, I want others to know about it. When I've heard a great song, I want to share it with others. I want them to know it too. And John has seen and tasted something in the person of Jesus that he is desperate for others to know about too. You must not underestimate the power of enthusiasm. You mustn't underestimate it. He is able, with his enthusiasm about Jesus, to point others towards him. Are we excited about Jesus? If we're regularly reminding ourselves of the gospel that we've even sung about this morning, then we will be excited about him. If we're regularly reminding ourselves of the fact that we were so lost without him and that he has come and has completely transformed our current and our eternity, then we will be excited about him. 
if we're not excited about him, it's likely that we've forgotten those things, that we're not really meditating on those things. We're not really taking them into our hearts and enjoying those truths. If we've grasped the magnitude of the gospel, that sinners like you and me could not only be made acceptable to God, but that we could be welcomed into his family, adopted as sons and daughters, that we've got an eternity that is secure, that we'll know him forever. This should be something that excites us. Amen? We're excited. We'll be with God forever. So these disciples of John, one of them we know to be Andrew, they follow Jesus. They ask him where he's going, and Jesus says, come and see. Andrew and his friend, they spend the rest of the day with Jesus. And then the next day, Andrew goes to find his brother, Simon. He says to Simon, we found the Messiah. Again, he's saying, we found the one that we've been looking for. He can't contain his excitement. The penny is dropped for him as to who Jesus is. And so he needs his brother to know that's the natural thing to do. It's not something that he's thought, I must uh, get my words right here. I must uh, work out how I'm going to approach this one. No, he simply found the one that his heart has been longing for. And so the natural thing for him to do is to tell his brother, because he wants his brother to know as well. Invitation is a natural thing to do. We can allow ourselves to be kind of frozen when it comes to sharing Jesus with others. But really, All it is, is an invite to come and enjoy Jesus like we're enjoying Jesus. And so if we're not enjoying him, then we're not really going to be inviting others. You see, it's that way around. It's not that we have to kind of try to muster up some excitement. No, we need to be enjoying God, and then out of that will flow invitation to others. We will gladly share with others the excitement that we have just as we would when we've seen a great film. I've, I've heard like seven or eight people this week saying, you have to go and see La La Land, right? Who's seen La La Land? Any of you? None of you. Well, apparently you have to go and see it. It's amazing, apparently, because I've had so many people telling me about it, so I'm going to go and see it. And uh, this is how it is for us, that when we're enjoying something, it won't be something we feel we must, we must do, we should do, that we're duty-bound to do, but actually it will flow out of us. Because enjoyment, excitement, about the gospel is at the heart of invitation. Don't be like the family who, when they heard their pastor speaking about reaching out to others, they decided they would invite their neighbors over to have dinner with them. And uh, the, the mother, in her attempt to show that they were good, virtuous Christian family, she said to her five-year-old son, Johnny, will you say grace before we eat? And Johnny says, I don't know how to do it. I, I won't do it. I, I, can't, I can't. I don't know what to say. And she said, well, just say what your dad said before breakfast this morning. And he said, okay. So he clasped his hands together. He said, oh, God, we've got those awful neighbors coming over for tea tonight. (laughs) This is not something we have to try and muster up from within. Devotion that we talked about right at the the outset of this series, loving God, walking with him, this this is key. It's that we're enjoying him, and it will naturally flow out of us. So Andrew, he takes his brother to Jesus. He's got confidence that Jesus would be enough. He's got confidence that when his brother saw Jesus, that Jesus would win him over. There wasn't a confidence in techniques or phrases. He didn't feel the need to rehearse what he was going to say or to overthink it. It was simply, Simon, we found the answer to all of life searching. You've got to come and see. So he took him to see Jesus. He invited him, and Jesus did the rest. And Jesus radically changed Simon's life. He not only changed his name, he turned this guy's life around. You know, Jesus sees potential in people that we wouldn't see potential in. 
I don't expect that Simon was particularly impressive. And Jesus saw what, the, what grace could do in his life. And Peter went on to do incredible things for Jesus because Jesus saw the potential in him from the outset. Peter would go on to be uh, almost really the rock on which the early church was built. He was one of the key leaders. All Andrew did was, in the overflow of his excitement, in his enjoyment of Jesus, was to tell someone, to invite someone to come and see. It's a natural thing. The pressure is off. The pressure is off. We get to lead people to Jesus, and he does the rest. This is what Andrew does. He simply says, come and see. And so next up, Jesus calls this guy called Philip to follow him. And seemingly soon afterwards, Philip, just like Andrew, goes to see his friend Nathaniel. And Philip says, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets were writing about. That means what the Bible speaks about. They had the Old Testament, that was their Bible. I found the one that this, everything in this Bible speaks about. I found him. And Philip says, Nazareth? He can't be from Nazareth because nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. And so Philip proceeded to argue with Nathaniel about how it was possible that Jesus might be the Messiah, taking through every page of the Bible in the process. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says at all. He doesn't argue with him. He simply says, come and see for yourself. He says, come and see for yourself. He doesn't feel the need to argue with this guy. He says, come and see for yourself, which leads us to the point number two. We're to be witnesses and not lawyers. This is something that we need to allow our hearts and minds to be changed on. We're to be witnesses and not lawyers. This is the revolution, the change of thinking that we need to have in this regard. Philip said to Nathaniel, Jesus of Nazareth is literally the answer to all that I've been searching for. Come and see. Nathaniel betrays his prejudice, doesn't he? He says, Nazareth, there can't be anything good that comes from Nazareth. Nazareth was the last place that he'd expect anything good to come out of. And just like the word Nazareth for Nathaniel, for some, when they hear mention of the word Jesus... They are immediately turned off. They immediately have prejudices for what they associate with the word Jesus is not attractive in the slightest. Probably because of the church, actually, over the centuries. Not because of anything that is in and of Jesus himself, but because of his church. People think of the word Jesus and they think of things like he's boring, he's irrelevant, he's a killjoy, or he's a myth, or he's overrated, or he's a wimp, or he's misinterpreted or he's too strict people have these connotations they think about the name Jesus and they think of these things and so they say no I don't want to go and see that I don't want to know people think they know what Jesus is all about if you mention church then many of these things would be said add to it judgmental behind the times cheesy backwards full of hypocrites a waste of time this is what a lot of people would associate with the word church but ultimately like Philip We don't have to argue with people. We don't have to take them through every single possible argument that we possibly could. We simply have to say, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. Now, apologetics is not a wrong or a bad thing. Apologetics is um, whereby people can defend the Christian faith against kinds of uh, questions that might come, uh, come forward. It's a good thing to prepare ourselves with answers, to be uh, looking to, look, to study these things. But ultimately, we're to be witnesses of what Jesus has done in our lives and not lawyers. We're not to be God's PR guys, all right? God doesn't need us to be his PR guys. He doesn't need you to defend him. 
He doesn't need you to uh, give an answer for every single possible question that someone might put forward. That's not who we are to be. Allow your mind to accept that and your heart to accept that this morning. We don't need to be God's PR guys. We are simply to be witnesses to whatever God has done in our lives. We don't know all of the answers. We can't know all of the answers, right? I know some very, very clever people, and I've debated with them, and I've tried to answer every question that they've given me. And ultimately, if someone wants to, they could come up with another question and another question and another question. You can't argue someone to belief in Jesus. You can't argue someone into the kingdom of God. Ultimately, they need to see something of Jesus. They need to see for themselves something of Jesus. They have to see what he's done in your life. And we're going to come on to that in a moment. So we, as a church, we want to present things that would be in a relevant way for people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having music that might be contemporary or uh, to have lighting or graphics that might be uh, contemporary. But ultimately, it's not those things that are going to save someone. I've never heard someone who said, you know, that was that drum solo. In that drum solo, I realized that God is the, is, is the one I need in my life. Now, you know, that doesn't happen. We need people to come and see Jesus. So our role is simply like John the Baptist's role or like Andrew's role or like Philip's role. We say, come and see Jesus. So there's two invites that we make. First, we say, come and see Jesus in my life. Come and see Jesus in my life. And the second that we'll come on to in a little while is come and see Jesus in my church. We testify in our own lives the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. Has he done miraculous things in your life? Has he changed you? Is he always with you? Then you testify to that fact. You simply share what he's doing in your life. That means getting close enough to people so that they can see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. So they can see that actually he is who you say he is. We invite people to come and see our lives. Secondly, we invite people to come and see Jesus in our church. That might not look like what we think it might look like. It might not look like inviting someone to a Sunday morning, although it will do eventually. We can invite people to come and see Jesus in our church before people even step foot in a building like this. Because we can invite people to see our church community first and foremost. In our post-Christian nation, which I suggest we are a post-Christian nation, no matter what politicians might say about us being a Christian nation, I think we've kind of left Jesus behind, uh, by and large, as a nation long ago. In our post-Christian nation, people who are skeptical uh, of the faith are often attracted to the Christian community first up. They're often attracted to real fellowship before they're attracted to the gospel, before they're attracted to the message itself. The church is countercultural, or it should be. It should be countercultural. So many people are living lives of isolation. I mentioned this the other week that whilst we're more connected than ever before in terms of social media and through mobile phones and so on, we are actually more isolated than we've ever been. Many people are living lives on their own, not really having a, a deep and meaningful community to call their own. And as beings created in the image of God... We need to have community. We need to be in relationship with others because we reflect the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They have always been in community, and we are made in their image. And therefore, we need to be in community. We need to be in relationship with others. We've 
an innate need for true community, for fellowship. And true fellowship is countercultural. It looks different to the culture. We've got a culture that is increasingly individualistic. We honor the people. So Donald Trump, in his uh, inauguration ball, he had his dance with his wife, and it was to the song, I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. We honor the people, don't we, often who go their own way. We value self-reliance. And so the experience of true gospel community, the experience of fellowship of a church, will look very, very different because we're not living our lives in isolation, I hope. That we are actually in and out of each other's homes. That we are actually demonstrating something quite radical in our world. That we are in community. This is something that people will sit up and take note of. We can invite people to see Jesus in our church before people even walk through the doors of a building like this. We invite people to see Jesus in our community, in our church. So we invite people into relationships. We allow people to see how we uh, outwork life together, how we care for one another, how we uh, look out for one another, how we resolve conflicts as well. This is real. This is not like we kind of uh, never get anything wrong because we get things wrong all the time, right? We get things wrong in community all of the time. And yet we're inviting people to see that even in the midst of imperfect community, Jesus is at work. So we invite people in to see Jesus in our church, in our community, but we also invite people to come and be amongst us on a Sunday. And it's so good that we have, uh, you might be here this morning and you might have been invited by someone and you might be exploring Christianity. You're so welcome here. Let me tell you, you're so welcome here. So we invite people to come and see Jesus On Sundays, Billy Graham, the greatest evangelist of the 20th century who preached the gospel to over 215 million people in 185 countries, he was simply invited to church by his friend Albert. That's all it was. Likely a conversation a bit like Philip had with Nathaniel. Come and see for yourself. Billy Graham might have had the same objections as Nathaniel, he might have said, well, I've tried church before, or I know what it's all about, and it's, it's, not, it's not for me, thank you very much. And yet he went along, his life was changed, and the rest is history. One invite. What can a person say to an invite? They can say, no, thank you. Or they can say, yeah, okay. It's as simple as that. People can hear the gospel being presented. They can respond. The worst that can happen, really, is that misconceptions about church can be challenged. People have misconceptions about church, don't they? that church is boring, that it's really backwards and behind the times, and they might have those misconceptions challenged being amongst us. Also, God dwells amongst his people in a special way. We believe that he's always with us, but when we come together as a body, as we come together as a family, that God dwells amongst us in a special way, that he inhabits the praises of his people. We can expect God to move amongst us in great power, on Sundays, we can expect that people might get healed. We can expect that people might receive the Holy Spirit. We can, ex- we can expect that people might receive words of knowledge where someone would share, I believe there's someone here with this going on, and they can know that God is actually reaching out to them where they are and saying, I'm on your case. I know about you. I know the details of your life. We can expect that because we're a supernatural people and we have a supernatural God who moves amongst us. So we're simply inviting people to come and see Jesus, to come and see the Savior who already knows them, 
who already knows them intimately, who knows them inside and out. Just after this story, Jesus meets Nathaniel, and he reveals to Nathaniel that he knows stuff about him. And Nathaniel says, how, do you, how on earth do you know that? Jesus receives a word of knowledge for himself and is able to, to show Nathaniel that he really is the saviour of the world. So today, I just want to encourage us with those points that really ultimately is excitement about God that will lead to invitation. That we don't need to be lawyers. We're not God's PR men or women. We are witnesses to what he's doing in our lives. And the invite that we issue is come and see Jesus. We, we say come and see for yourself. That's the invite that we issue to those that we love. We say come and see Jesus in our lives. Come and see Jesus in our church. Come and decide for yourself. See for yourself. We have a saviour who is longing to meet with those that don't know him. He's longing. He desires that they will come to know him. So I want to give you an invitation this morning. If you don't know Jesus, if you're here this morning and you've come along at the invite of a friend or you have come because you're intrigued about Christianity, if you don't know him, I want to give you an invitation. In a moment, we're going to declare some things that will come up on the screen and I'll lead that through. It might be that for the first time, you want to join in with that and to declare these truths with me. It might be the first time that you've declared what you believe. It might be that at that moment you want to say, yeah, I do believe this and I want, to, I want to know God. I want to walk with him. And if you've done that with us for the first time, then at the end of the service, there's going to be a prayer team over in the corner here and we'd love to just pray with you. We'd love to talk with you, help you on your journey. And there'll be others that will be receiving prayer for all kinds of other things as well. We love to pray with people. It might be that, as was shared earlier on, that some feel a bit frozen. Some feel that, that they, need, they need to have a, a, a defrosting, that, that some just feel distant from God or that they haven't really just know, they don't know him closely. This morning we want to pray with you. At the end of John, uh, John's gospel in chapter 20, he writes this, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is what he came to give, life, true life, life in all its fullness, that we would know God, would have relationship with him. That is true life in and of itself. So I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to declare some things and we're going to sing after we've declared these things together. If you are here this morning, let's stand together. If you're here this morning and you, you haven't placed your faith in Jesus before, this is an opportunity for you to do that. And maybe you want to declare these things with me. Believe in our hearts and declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And then in a few minutes time after we've sung, an opportunity to receive prayer for a number of different things. Let's declare these things together. They're going to come up on the screen screens around the room. Let's declare this together. Lord Jesus, we have seen that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. We believe that you came, that we would have life in your name. You came and lived the perfect life that we could not live. We believe that you died on the cross and took the blame for our sins. You rose again on the third day, never to die again. We believe that you're coming back and will make all things new. We choose to live for you and to invite others to see you in our lives. 
In Jesus' name, we declare all this. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.